The Guardian. Guardian podcasts are partnered with audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash audible, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details. Hello, I'm John Plunkett, and on this week's show, we talk to Paul Lewis about how the riots finally got read on the BBC. The film didn't contain anything about those deaths in Birmingham. The film didn't even mention Birmingham at all, and none of the characters were based in Birmingham. It was just generally about the riots. But the judge felt that the themes that were being brought up in this film resonated with the arguments in the trial. Plus, we catch up with all things Olympics-related in the media, and we talk News Corp results and ask, what would you do with Chris Moyles? Please, keep it clean. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. With me in the studio to discuss all these things and more are Maggie Brown and Ollie Mann, one half of the Sony award-winning Answer Me This. Hello. Now I hear you say one half. I can't think of you apart from when you were doing your Fluff Freeman, not half. Is there a, well, a listener from last week? I was Welcome. amazed by that. It was good. Yes, it was good. Was special oh, skills. Two listeners. <laughs> you're a, two halves. I've got a pint. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, chaps, my first question. Been watching much sport on the box this week? Loads. Loads and loads, oh, and this what? is from someone who does not watch, enjoy, or understand sport in the usual calendar of things. It's a sport, a non-sports fan sport, isn't it? Totally, and and this is this is the case whether I'm watching it live or whether I'm watching it on TV. I did go and see the Greco-Roman wrestling live. <laughs> Fantastic you saw it in sport. person. Live. Oh my god, it's amazing. Long queue for tickets. Uh, no, I did manage to get a seat for £20, which was one of the motivating factors for why I was there. But when the Hungarian wins and flips the coach over his head in celebration, you know that you're watching one hell of a sport. <laughs> the BBC's done a terrific job, actually, watching it on telly, and I, I just absolutely love it. My, my only complaint with it is I've been watching the Gabby Logan show mostly in the evening for a kind of roundup of of what's been on and, and therefore never again want to hear Spandau Ballet. <laughs> and because of that, I was just kind of slightly anxious that there's there doesn't seem to be any round up show whether it's that one or the one with Claire Balding or the one with Gary Lineker any kind of mainstream roundup show on the BBC which is here's actually what happened at the Olympics it's all about Team GB isn't it I know we're doing really well but I'd actually like a show that is about the best people in the world not just the best British people in the world Yes, Maggie, I was going to about to say it's unusual there's been no criticism of uh, the BBC's coverage, but there has been that one criticism, which, which Ollie makes there, that it is too Team GB-centric. But, you know, is, is it hard not to when they're well, sort of... Well, there was of... one right at the beginning. Do you remember when the, the coverage of the opening cycle race was very poor? And the BBC immediately came out and apologised and said, you know, they were sorry and there were aspects of it that were not under their own control. I think it has been... Yes, it has been very British-centred. On the other hand, I was actually in Scotland last weekend for four days, and all I can say is if we think that you know we're having a British-centred set of reporting here, if you're in Scotland, well, when Andy Murray won the gold uh, medal, <laughs> all I can say is I was at a particular wedding reception and everything just stopped for, for some of these events, and people, they were thrilled to bits with their, with their cyclists, with their, with their rowers, you name it. So i tell you what I think is a, a bit of... I, I've been watching loads, and I've also been at the equestrian events, which have been magnificent. In fact, I'm going again on Saturday. And one of the things I think is a slightly missed opportunity is I know that the 24 feeds, which obviously are a wonderful innovation on the Sky platform or other multi-channel platforms, are a really wonderful thing. 
with a bit more investment, they could have used the downtime in the evening and perhaps done more of a roundup of those particular sports. Because if you have actually been to a sport, say, or you've been watching other things, or you've been just busy and that is your passion, then it would be very, very sensible to develop those services, certainly for the next Olympics, so that you have a pool together without the boring bits when you're waiting for, say, the next horse to come in or, you know, whichever sport you're watching. I mean, boxing is the same. And it's a fantastic service, but it could be developed further. The thing that struck me, in a way, is that we forget that ITV used to screen the Olympics, in fact, used to try and share them or have some sort of arrangement with the BBC. And it's always been assumed that the last time they did this was in 88, that, that these were solely BBC events. But when you think of the huge broad sweep, 90% of the population watching some of them. In a way, I'm quite pleased the BBC tied up the next Olympics to 2020 before they began in July, because there must be people now thinking, well, what, uh, you know, what a fantastic opportunity this could be. ITV will be exploit. saying, well, thank goodness for the time difference with Rio. Give, give us they a chance. Will, they will certainly be saying that. One of the interesting things is, you know, I, I went to Atlanta to the Olympics in 1996, and um, I was both watching events and I was writing for The Guardian about it. And all of the complaints about the NBC coverage in America, they ring so true because nothing seems to have changed since 96. It was completely bizarre being in, in America and going home and expect, or going back to your hotel expecting to see events as you would do here and absolutely nothing, nobody reporting on them. It does make you realise that... We are extremely fortunate in this country to have a great big public service broadcaster like the BBC. But, but NBC have got that wrong. I mean, I, that seems very evident to me. They haven't developed since 96. Exactly, and technology has developed since 1996. I, I don't think they can do that at the next Olympics. Well, There's been you... such a backlash. It's just the wrong decision, even if commercially it makes sense to delay things. But you, you say this, but if you actually visit America and, and kind of live like an, a normal American, which I do because I have a daughter there, there are so many cultural differences between Britain and America and this is one of them one of the things that they seem able to accept really that it will be as NBC says it will be I mean there doesn't seem to be a massive revolt there's a lot of commentary about it but I mean I think it's completely bonkers but there's a commercial reason behind this and all I'm saying is that I would have thought the BBC will be remembered when we come to the license fee negotiations. I know it's a long way off in a couple of years' time. The current agreement charter expires at the end of 2016, but they've done themselves a massive amount of good. So it'll be about the Olympics and not about the uh, royal theme sick bags from the, uh, from the Diamond Jubilee? Uh, well, I think that this one has trumped it, yes. And uh, of course, let's face it, that Roger Mosey, the BBC executive who's been leading this since 2009, he has done his career a massive amount of good. I would not be at all surprised if he emerges as the next uh, director of vision at the BBC. That's right. Well, we should touch on that now. Yeah, this week yeah. it was announced that he was the acting director. He's mm. going to take up the job, uh, well, this month, in fact, because uh, yeah. George Entwistle is standing now early to get uh, get his desk in order, his in-train order, for when he becomes um, director general. Uh, you think this puts Mosey in the running for the job full-time, Maggie? I think it does, because uh, he's shown such good judgment. He can organise and lead a team, a creative team, as well as an uh, organisational team. One of the, I think, people who would also like it is Peter Salmon, the director of BBC North, who has led the charge to um, Salford. Mosey, though, I would have said 
was probably too limited for that job until his, he'd shown his mettle here because his background is fundamentally in radio. Yes, he's, uh, what is he, former director of sport, former controller of Five Live and editor Five of the Today programme. Well, he, and, and other uh, Radio 4 programmes. I mean, he, he's very much a BBC lifer. Uh, he joined in 79 as, uh, as a radio uh, trainee. And I would have said until now that he's extremely personable he's he's meticulous he's clever he's smart he knows the politics he knows he's a very very safe pair of hands but but now having seen the breadth of what he's been able to pull off so many things that have gone right for the BBC he has to be a strong contender yes well let's hope the closing ceremony goes well for him Uh. (laughs) even if it doesn't I mean one of the interesting things is that they have managed to uh, have both light and shade in all of this it it has drawn in young viewers and as well as it's drawn in everybody in fact no it's, it's been it's it's been quite magnificent. Well, you mentioned viewing figures, uh, Meg, and it looks like, uh, although we still have at the time of recording, the 200-metre final to come, but it looks like, Ollie, the uh, the 20 million people who watched the 100 metres final, which is always traditionally the big kind of audience puller. Yeah, live That's, in this country, unlike in America. Indeed, indeed. We get to watch it live. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. That looks like it's been the big winner outside of the opening ceremony, which, of course, peaked with nearly... 27 million. Maggie mentioned that ITV uh, had it. I think it was as recently as 88 they, 88, sh- they showed the yes, and they shared it with Channel 4. Channel 4 put on some stuff over the um, you know, sort of breakfast time overnight. So, I mean, ITV have really suffered this time around in the, in the, just, in the ratings. They're running Midsummer Murders, aren't they? That's right, like that. that's right. But it kind of feels... Well, even, and even and if the they, Stalk and Waterman story, which I did enjoy. Yeah, that was a first-run documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2.3 yeah. million. I think, Very good. If memory serves me right. But uh, even if ITV did have it, you kind of feel like the FA Cup final, like the general election, everyone would be, would be nevertheless tuned into BBC One for this sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know exactly what you're going to get if it's going to be on ITV, and, and that's Adrian Childs. And I think, generally speaking, people seem happier with the way the BBC cover these kinds of events, even if they have... Some reservations. Uh, One final other little gripe that I wanted to bring up about the cross-promotion of the channels. Many's the time now that I've seen, whether it's John Inverdale or Gary Lineker, have that moment where they're supposed to be very confident about the coverage across the BBC and say to the viewer at home, oh, and if you want to see this, you know, and they should be saying, go to BBC Olympic 19 now on your Virgin or Skybox. And they've just ducked out of it. And I don't know why. I don't know if they actually don't feel confident in the services or they feel like because it's not on Freeview, they shouldn't be endorsing it. Or they've been told to kind of gloss over it and say something like they do when they say now on our multitude of other services. But actually, I think they could have had a much stronger message to the audience that the majority of people can watch all of these things live and they don't have to have it curated for them. I don't think they have communicated that no, actually so as well right. as they could. Do you know, you're so right. I was standing in the queue to get into the cross-country and I could hear these, I know, very horsey people talking about how they'd missed some of the show jumping the day before and they didn't know how to find it. And I, I had to turn around and say to them, have you got Sky or Multichannel? Because you just do this, you go to sport and you just scroll down. Yeah. And they all said, oh. And this seems such a shame because actually the BBC has been very bold and sensitive in making this partnership arrangement with B Sky B in particular. And it is easy to find when you if you go right down, but a lot of people are obviously missing missing this trick, which is again, as I say, I think the whole of those channels, those 24 feeds, could have been developed a bit further. Perhaps next time, as I say, they ought to be. Still with the Olympics, the Sunday Times was the biggest winner of all the newspapers, selling an extra 70,000 copies on the, uh, the second Sunday of the Games, which was after... 
uh, Golden Saturday, I think, or in my case, going to bed at 8 p.m. because you're knackered and missing the entire thing. Uh, if only there was some kind of catch-up show where I could watch everything again. But um, Maggie, what does this tell us? Uh, I think the Times, the Mail and the Mail on Sunday were all up. Does it, does it show that uh, when it comes to a, a big event like this, we still want to read about it with, with something in our hand the next day? You know? Well, of course, I mean, the photography has been marvellous. I mean, I, that's why I've been really taking the papers and buying extra copies of things. It's The wraparounds, which I, I'm not sure which paper invented it. It may have been even the Times. I'm not sure who began with it. Since the opening ceremony, the Times yes. has been doing it every day. And, and, uh, but if you open it up, you get the stars of that day. I mean, I, I, admittedly, mainly British stars, and except, you know, occasionally it's Usain Bolt. Uh, but but it, <laughs> it, it, it just stands out, and it makes you almost want to own it, I think. that That's the truth of it. It's this thing of a paper of record. Yeah, because the, the sales of The Sun and The Daily Star, as I understand it, have gone down by roughly the amount that The Times and The Mail have gone up, which is extraordinary, isn't it? And The it? Mirror it, hasn't d- done well either, and The so Mirror hasn't really done the wraparounds either. So does that mean that a tabloid audience has been choosing The Times instead because why? They think it's got more information in it? I mean, you'd think that at a tub-thumping, sort of celebratory, Team GB, go-go-go type time... The sun would be having a real whale of a time, but they don't seem to be. I think it's partly people's passions. And also, remember, there are an awful lot of people who used to be broadsheet readers who are no longer regular broadsheet readers, but can be tempted mm. back in. Uh, the f- photographers have done, I think, fantastic work. I, I, I just take my hat off to them. And there's the odd cartoon as well that makes you just sort of giggle. Also... It has displayed some fantastic fast writing skills. Uh, maybe there are, are fantastic fast subs as well at work, but some of the turnarounds of these uh, reports have been very fast, and, and some of our best writers have really been, I think, using words beautifully to describe the, the Olympic atmosphere and, and performances. It must be a hard time as well for a PR person to get a typical August news story out because uh, it's kind of Olympics at the front, then Olympic silly stories, then world news, then an Olympic pullout. You know, where's the stuff about cheese and credit cards and <laughs> <laughs> mortgages and all that stuff? And, you know, horses dressed up. That's not in there because uh, we're all so excited about the Olympics well, at the we moment. occasionally have Louise Mensch, don't we, sort of uh, hmm. putting in a little spiky or but uh, no. And Maggie, what do you think about that? I saw online uh, fears that radio, commercial radio listening would dip because of the Olympics. But it's, it's, it's only a two-week event, so I don't suppose it will have that much effect. But it's going to be fantastic news, I presume, for Radio 5 Live. Well, yes. And I mean, it, Radio 5 Live, I haven't been watch, listening to it that much, but it has been... Uh, velodrama is one of the words they've, they've invented <laughs> or added to the English language. Uh, no, the other thing, it's live, isn't it? Live events which people want to sort of participate in or know about or, or find uh, who's won or what the results are or what the commentators are saying or what the athletes are saying after they've won or they've lost or whatever. Of course, commercial radio is going to suffer, but it is, after all, as we keep saying, only, only a two-week event. Although, of course, the other thing that we, we've got to remember is that the Paralympics are coming up at the end of this month. There's literally just a sort of two-week break. On Channel uh, 4. Yes, and I had thought, I was worried for, uh, for Channel 4 that perhaps we would all be Olympic'd out. But with the sales being reported of, of booming, hardly anything left, I, I suspect that, um, again, Channel 4 may have done a very good deal. I think they bought them for about £5 million uh, and took them away from the BBC. But uh, it's a chance for them, really, to, A, using 
independent producers and also with their own style uh, make uh, again something of a, of a real splash with this. Yeah, I think the Ollie, I think the Paralympics can't fail. I think we'll be sort of grieving come Monday or Tuesday for some uh, some extra hot sporting action. And you know, I think that's right in one way. I also think that, that you know one of the big uh, elements of the stories that have been doing the rounds around the different athletes is the kind of human interest angle. And when it comes to the Paralympics, you can't have any better kind of human interest because you've got someone you know, overcoming a disability as well as being a world-class athlete. But I do wonder if, against the BBC's incredible coverage and money that they've spent on it, actually, whether the Channel 4 stuff will be able to compete. It may be a really interesting well, time to see whether they can. They've got Sunset and Vine, and they've got, I think, IMG. Both of them are expert uh, sports producers, not necessarily of a broader range and, and also there's this difficult issue of how you how you score and you win and the, and the handicaps you have to apply but on the other hand there have been a lot of programs introducing us to the athletes the the paralympics who are british ones of course who are going to be competing so there's there's been a degree of building up information about the competitors so i, I think it will now go well okay well for all the latest olympics ratings check out mediaguardian.co.uk You may remember a few weeks ago there was a TV programme due to air on BBC Two looking at the riots. However, just before transmission it was pulled by the BBC after a judge in Birmingham issued a court order citing a potential breach of contempt of court. The trial is over now and the BBC is due to air the first of two parts this coming Monday. Paul Lewis, special projects editor at The Guardian, was responsible for the original interviews that inspired the programme. This is his take on what happened. Reading the riots was a... 11-month study of the causes and consequences of the riots. And in the process of this research, we interviewed a large number of rioters. And they gave some incredible insights into some of the reasons they came out onto the streets. We then had some contact from the BBC, who had this, what we thought was quite an exciting prospect, which was to take the verbatim transcripts of these interviews and dramatise them. So... Um, to have actors playing the rioters but using the very same words they used when they were interviewed by us. I didn't didn't do anything. I didn't do anything major. Like, I've done worse things in my life than rioting. I'll tell you that from now. (laughs) I prevented Alfred from getting burnt down. That's what I did. How did you prevent Alfred from getting burnt down? Basically, some guy put petrol all over it. And he asked me for a lighter. If I said, yes, I've got a lighter for you, and given him a lighter, there'll be no Alfreds. And you said no? Yeah, I didn't give him a lighter. Why? Because you didn't want the shop to burn? No, but I didn't, but, but you think I went, you think I went with Foot Locker to get burned down, bro? Like, where am I going to go with Foot Locker? All the way in credit, or whatever, bro. So this was a really exciting film. The script was written by a leading playwright, Aleki Blythe, and we all expected the programme to be broadcast just before the Olympics. It was quite extraordinary, really. There was um, a ruling by a judge in a case in Birmingham. This was the really high-profile riots-related case. It was the case of several men who stood accused of murder of the three Asian men in Birmingham who had been knocked over by cars at the height of the riots. The ruling was unusual in many ways, but the main reasons is usually kind of court rulings relate to what happens within court. And this was quite far-reaching. We had a criminal judge giving himself the powers that ordinarily a high court judge would have. And 
barring the BBC from, from broadcasting the film. And the reason he gave for this was that it was an application to the court saying that the, the issues that were being raised in the film could be prejudicial to the jury. And that was really quite remarkable because the film didn't contain anything about those deaths in Birmingham. The film didn't even mention Birmingham at all and none of the characters were based in Birmingham. It was just generally about the riots. But the judge felt that the themes that were being brought up in this film resonated with the arguments in the trial and those themes would be things like adrenaline rush or the use of Blackberry Messenger. And for that reason, he thought that the film shouldn't be broadcast. There are so many youths out there who've got wrap sacks on, bottles, um, look like they're going to a party. As we went down there, just sort of spectator, it really did at first. I think most of us spectators did exactly the same. They actually came along just to watch, but just found ourselves wound up in it. Even though there was a majority of boys and girls there was a big majority of big people, like women, men, mother, like... Older? Like, older, 30, 30-year-olds. 30 people that are enemies, they were all meeting up as friends. No, no war that day, them days. They're warring now, but not them days. In, in, in times like that, they unite. Times like what? To make free money, and it's easy. You can get free TVs free laptops. Groups such as Index on Citizenship and civil rights lawyers have been, I think, quite concerned about the implications of a case like this because we have a judge, you could argue, overreaching themselves or certainly reaching further than they ordinarily would or further than we're used to. Preventing a film from being broadcast, I know it was a big problem for the BBC. I mean, they had, as you can imagine, a watertight schedule for the Olympics. Like all of us, they were really struggling with the fact that the riots anniversary fell in the midst of the Olympics. So they wanted to get these films out beforehand. And it was a really significant disruption, really, to their scheduling to have this film moved. But more importantly, I think, you know, you had a huge audience that potentially would have wanted to watch these films. They now, they now can because they've been rescheduled for this coming uh, Monday and, and the week after. But they didn't get to see them when they wanted to see them because, you know, a judge felt that either the jury could watch it and be influenced somehow in a kind of thematic way, or even, he said, you know, friends or uh, family members of the jury may watch it and in some way influence the jury too. Everyone starts messaging you saying yeah. it's all happened. Yeah. What were they messaging you saying? What had happened? JRR. Lights and Brixton... Yeah, it's kicking off, basically. What did uh, you think when you got that message or those messages? No, I was thinking, I'm going, going, going back there. I had nothing to do, weren't tired, bugging. The riots, in their own words, starts on Monday the 13th of August at 9pm on BBC Two. In non-Olympics news this week, tough times at Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, which lost $1.6 billion in the last quarter, compared to a profit of $683 million a year ago. This is partly a result of charges related to its plan to spin off its various publishing assets, including The Times and The Sun in the UK. But also, TV revenues were down as audiences for shows like American Idol fell, and also its Hollywood studio disappointed at the box office. 
Maggie, it's a tough time in, uh, in publishing, uh, where News Corp's annual operating income was $597 million, one more number to come, down from $864 million in 2011. Yes, no, I, I read the results. I must say I wasn't particularly surprised. And the £1 billion write-down, really, clearly also is exacerbated by the costs of the whole phone hacking uh, scandal that's hit News International over here. Yes, legal charges. Oh, I promise you no more statistics. Here's one more, $224 million to date. Yeah, and I, I mean, I imagine that the worries that we had earlier this year when the decision to, um, as you were, dismember the the overall empire uh, was taken. The worries then were that it would expose the feet of clay of the publishing businesses and the newspapers, and it would seem to me that this will now lead to restructuring and, and probably cutbacks in the London titles. On the other hand, I, the overall empire must be, when you think about it, boosted by the decision that the Competition Appeal Tribunal has um, ruled in B-Sky-B's favour over the wholesale charges it makes for its um, Guy Sports 1 and 2. I know it's only 39.9% owned, but this is a company that um, seems to be certainly uh, winning uh, battles with Ofcom, winning uh, on competition issues, and um, just hauling in the cash. And clearly, that's exactly why News Corp wanted to own the whole of it, but it's still owning a 40% chunk of what is clearly a company in, in a very sweet place. It must alleviate a bit, although, of course, that goes into the, the bit that is, is growing and is sexy, whereas the poor old print business is still struggling. And also this week, the Church of England sold its shares yes. in News Corporation, said it wasn't happy that the company hadn't changed its corporate governance regime two years after it first raised concerns. Now, I think its shareholding of a £57 billion company was, is, amounts to 0.005%, or at least it did until it sold it. But, um, Maggie, is it rather more significant than that? Well, it's a reputational issue, and I suppose that it's not going to keep Rupert Murdoch or Chase Carey awake at night, but it's yet one more pointer, really, that um, this is a company that has a very big problem in terms of both image and acceptability now. You know, as they separate the com- the companies to try and satisfy Wall Street, effectively, it becomes more acute, this issue of morality, because whatever you call it, whether you call it News Corp or News International or something else, it's Murdoch that's tainted now, isn't it? I think that's the problem. And, you know, the, all of these companies distancing themselves, they're distancing themselves from him, not just from the company, I think. Maggie, any suggestion that, that Rupert Murdoch will step down from his... He's got a, a dual role as chairman and chief executive at the moment, which was uh, what the Church of England pointed to as their reason for selling their shareholding, although others suspect it's, you know, of course, to do with the phone hacking scandal. Well, he is 81, isn't he? And I would have thought that um, the Grim Reaper will at some point uh, call... Surely the Church of England should be all about forgiveness, though. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that you can say in their favour recently, though, I've heard on good authority that uh, the whole Team Sky Bradley Wiggins thing was James Murdoch's personal responsibility. Indeed, a big big cycling fan. Indeed it was, and then, of course, ITV4 had the uh, television rights, didn't they? (laughs) Yeah, but that's good cross-promotion as well, isn't it? (laughs) Win. And if Sky gets the rights in the future, we can only assume they'll launch a a dedicated cycling channel, uh, as they did with F1 and now James Bond. James Bond, yes. Indeed. indeed, indeed. Well, from one finely sculpted British anti-hero to another, uh, that's James Bond I'm talking about just then, to Chris Moyles, who, word has it, is being lined up to take the John Peel slot when he leaves the Radio 1 breakfast show later this year. 
Ollie, it seems strange for a, a station which is uh, very much gearing itself towards a, a younger audience and trying to prove its uh, sort of new music credentials that uh, Moyles, who you don't necessarily associate with a younger audience or new music, is, is, is being given a, a slot, well, a 10pm slot. Yeah, but I wonder if this is being seeded out there to see what the reaction is. I, I think, in a way, you're being a bit naughty calling it the John Peel slot. Um, well, it be- was the John Peel slot. Well, it was, but it isn't. It's the Nick Grimshaw slot. Well, yeah, but well, there's good reason before- why it isn't, of course. But yeah, well, on, yeah. yeah, but before that, it was the uh, Colin Murray slot. So you could argue that, actually, for a while, it's not had music specialists hosting it anymore. But I think perhaps one of the reasons they are putting feelers out there to see how people react is precisely because it did used to be the John Peel slot. If people call it that, if people think of it in those terms, then I don't think a Chris Moore's show in that slot can ever get off the ground because John Peel is just sacred, isn't he? I mean, it's you know, you think about the John Peel stage at Glastonbury and the whole of Six Music apparently being created in his honour. The idea that Chris Moyles uh, would fill that with kind of uh, immature chat just isn't going to fly. But if they can distance that slot from him, then I think... Um, Actually, Chris Moyle's late night, yeah, I think that would work really well because he's been trying to push back boundaries on Radio 1 in the morning for many years now and gotten a lot of trouble for it. Uh, this is a place where he'd be able to do that. He used to be great late night. I'm a, I'm a partisan Moyles fan, and I was listening when I was 13 at my boarding school uh, when he was on Chilton Radio late at night. Uh, he was probably only about 16, and he was fantastic, and it was naughty, and it was risky, and actually, when people say this will make the demographic older because older people used to listen to him in the morning. I'm not sure that's true because I think kids would really like him as well. I don't think his age, much like John Peel, if you can make that comparison, there is one there. I think his age doesn't matter and I think it could appeal to to a younger audience at that time. So I think he is really fun. But if they say it's the music slot, it's the Peel slot and now Moyles is hosting it, I think it's dead in the water. Maggie, what do you think? Because, you know, he's contracted to the station until 2014 so they have to find something to do with him unless he leaves the station altogether, maybe goes to the US. But um, I shall now call it the Colin Murray slot. Uh, Do you think... uh, do you think the Colin Murray slot will work for Moyles? What did you make of it as part of uh, control of Ben Cooper's overall well, I, I actually thought probably it was to do with contracts, that if you've got him contracted, you've got to use him, really, or pay him off. I had assumed that he would end up on Radio 5 Live. I, I just thought he was the right kind of voice and person and personality for that kind of... You wouldn't want to hear him doing breaking news, though, would you? No, that's you'd the thing. To, something, that's the problem. You know, something goes down, he's doing the Tony Livesey... You know, he'd wipe the floor with Tony Livesey from when doing the light-hearted stuff. But, you uh, know, a bomb goes off and you don't want Moyles at the mic, do you? That's the thing. That's true, and at the same time, Five Lives come under pressure from the BBC Trust to sort of refocus more on news and sport and move away from entertainment. And so there aren't, I guess, too many slots. Well, there aren't too many natural homes for him. I mean, he was... But, I mean, Danny Baker. Could Danny Baker cope with a news story? Yeah, but he only does a weekend show, doesn't he? He only does I mean. two or I three mean, hours. I'm not saying he has to be on every night but or every morning, or but I, but I just only put forward the thought that he would seem to sort of fit that kind of blokey... Would Radio 2 be a more natural home? He did, it was suggested. Well, well, that's always been the traditional uh, migration route, isn't it? That, that, that you know, since the 90s, that, that the ones go on to the twos. And I don't know. The thing is, he's not particularly warm and cuddly. He's no Chris Evans, is he? And he's not actually, in my opinion, telegenic. I know he has got um, some sort of successful slot now on Channel 4. but <laughs> Which you may not have seen, we understand. No, I remember him on the Channel 5 show in, about 10 years ago. Oh, that was dreadful. Yeah, and he wasn't good live, although he does have the nerves of steel for going live. So I think he's a difficult... He's clearly very popular. You can see what the dilemma is. If he doesn't really work on BBC television, what do you do with undoubtedly a star 
but you don't quite know how to fit him in. I think he's just not actually, really, a BBC personality. I mean, because he's been at Radio 1 for so long, we've kind of forgotten that he came through commercial radio. He's a shock jock who works really well on commercial radio, and like Howard Stern in the States, he doesn't need to play music. He creates his own format because he's so compelling to listen to. And I think it's a sort of sad indictment of the state of radio in this country that we're all sitting around kind of itching our beards, saying, well, where do you put him? In the States, there'd be a fierce bidding war for him. He's got a massive audience. People love talk and chat and banter but it is true that in this country at the moment there isn't a station that offers that you do phone-ins and news where do you do just funny chat and if you're sport before it became so sporty exactly but but it is now sporty Sporty, yes and if you're um ashley tables global radio you're trying to play 26 records an hour so there's not much time for for chat in between the hits no yeah or on lbc you're basically doing a phone-in perhaps he'd like to do a radio review on media talk it's possible. Put it out there. Well, thank sure you, Chris. Office. Chris, if you're listening. Once he's done with his Jesus Christ Superstar tour. Tweet me at the usual address. <laughs> well, we end this week uh, with a first in an occasional series which could prove as short-term as Wonga Loans. That's right. It's a Media Monkey quiz. And our fingers on the buzzers, uh, which you don't have. Uh, which papers this week decided to forget Team GB and go Dutch? Oh, um, it's either the Express or the Sunday Express. Ollie Mann. Uh, it's the Mirror and Daily Express, but we'll give it to you. Okay. It was a, so that was a story that they took athletes that had come from Holland yep, that's and they right. captioned them as the gold-winning equestrians. Uh, you've got it. Yeah, and actually they were the bronze-winning Dutch equestrians. And the mirror used a picture, I think, which even had the uh, the Dutch branding, if that's right, or, the, or the, the, uh, the uniforms or the livery, whichever the right word is for these Olympic types, on their, uh, you on know, their jackets. You don't have to know who all the athletes are, but you'd think you'd be able to spot the colour, wouldn't you? If you're a photo editor, presumably you're not colourblind, you can see they were wearing bronze medals. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Right, question number two in the uh, Media Monkey quiz, uh, we've touched on already, but why did NBC's spoiler alerts fall on deaf ears? Hang on, right, that terrible silence means I'll give you the answer. <laughs> It was, after telling viewers to mute their set if they didn't want to hear the Olympic results, they put up the results on the graphics. So, classic error. That is a great error. I didn't know about that one. I've been keeping track of the hashtag NBC fail. Another one to add to You've been been watching too much in real time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And finally, uh, so it's 1-0 to Oliver uh, Oliver Mann. I'm getting very formal here. I like it you got my mastermind title out. Specialist subjects, Olympic balls up. Which minister fell for a two-grand sting by Lockog? Um, uh, uh, Jeremy Hunt, which I said correctly, unlike on Five Live, uh, because you're on fire, Oliver. Uh, he had, he has to pay. I've got to hurry you. He has to. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the story. He has to pay for the tickets for the closing ceremony, and he thought he'd got them for free. Almost, yes. It, it, he asked for four tickets, uh, priced between twenty pounds and six hundred pounds, and then he got four tickets for six hundred pounds each, pounds ones, yeah. uh, leading to uh, two thousand four hundred pounds. Still, if he knew that he could pay two and a half grand to get rid of that footage of him ringing the bell, I think he would. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, someone said, uh, "Was it me?" That he should have got Fred Michelle to sort him a much cheaper <laughs> ticket. But of course, uh, Fred Michelle has nothing to do, I imagine, with the Olympic ceremony. But he is a lobbyist of Olympic proportions. My thanks to Oliver Two Points Man and Maggie Nilpoint Brown, and of course to Paul Lewis. Please leave us your comments on what you've just heard on our blog or our Facebook wall. Alternatively, tweet me at John Plunkett 149. Media Talk was produced by Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Guardian Podcasts are partnered with audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash audible, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details.